This is Arby. And this is Michael. And you're listening to Powerverse, where we explore what it means to be gay and queer in the world today. Get into it. Honey. On this episode of Powerverse. And so what's become important to us about Powerverse and what our mission and focus really is here, it's about cultivating a community of inspiring queer and LGBT people, you know, a bunch of Powerverses that we can give visibility to through the podcast. Hi! Hi! Hi. <laughs> that was an extended one. That was it. Hi, guys. We're Welcome back. back. <laughs> Welcome back. The bitches are back from the dead. <laughs> it's only been a few short, long months. It's been a year. <laughs> it's been a year. It's been know. a year. What? What, what a year. year. <laughs> <laughs> what a year, what a honestly. Year. We are now, we went from rainy Portland where we recorded the first episodes of Powerverse, and now we're in sunny, sunny Los Angeles, and we are recording our first new episodes in a year we in los angeles <laughs> the clouds is out i can't stop every Can time her? She's, I, she's, just, she's, if you don't follow just libby j-s-t-l-i-b-b-y you're missing, you're missing out, out. You're missing she gives out. you your daily inspiration every day she's giving it to you a I dose of sass and just like overall just fierceness have you seen some of her product endorsements that she does yeah of course she does She's comedic I mean, she, genius <laughs> what's the one where she does uh is it for sweeten your vagina yeah <laughs> oh god that one is really good <laughs> but i almost want to look <laughs> to see what she says uh, <laughs> anyway so anyway anytime i come to los angeles it's an excuse for me to say that because that's one of my favorites and it, it's Trouble don't ask. Like, Trouble don't ask. Exactly. Always, bitch. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Better just leaving. Before it's too late. You know, and it's just one of those good posts, and you're like, you know what? This isn't even worth it to like harp on these small, you know, this small mishap or setback for the day. It's true. Anyways, we hope you've missed us. Maybe you haven't at all, <laughs> but we've missed you too. We owe you an explanation. Definitely. It's been a year since we last recorded an episode, and. To be honest, we made those first episodes of Powerverse kind of in a vacuum. It was uh, early November of 2016. We recorded all of our those first four episodes in one weekend, yeah. which we know we may or may not have led on to. But we were recording all those episodes at once before Arby was setting off for a trip. Yeah, I had a, a trip and plan to kind of take a break from my current line of work and do some exploration around the world, which was a beautiful moment for me. Yeah. And you all knew that. He was in uh, Vietnam the last time that we recorded an episode. And, you know, we needed a bit of a break. We had to kind of take a step away from everything that was happening. I was living in Portland at the time, and that was not necessarily the city that I wanted to be in either. And Why was that? I love Portland. Portland is my hometown. It's where I grew up. I think Portland was always meant to be a bit of a pit stop. Uh, there was... My family, there were family issues and things that were happening with some family illnesses, which is what brought me home at first. I had, you know, run away to Berlin originally from New York after a big breakup, and then Berlin didn't work out, and I went back to New York and wasn't happy in New York. And so it all, Portland just was kind of that in between place for, you know. Well, it's home as well. And it's home, you know, and home is where you need to go to heal. And I, I, I knew that I would never 
regret going home and spending like a year of my my last year of my 20s really with my family and had such a nice beautiful time you know reconnecting to my siblings reconnecting to my home community making some of the best friends that I could imagine and I I love I love Portland but for for me and my career and what I'm passionate about Portland just isn't the city for me to work it's not a cultural city and I I'm happy to say that to anyone's face there is that it's Portland's not like a a place where people go for culture. They go to like hikes and read. Yeah. Have, I mean, co- pe- have coffee. Have coffee. And also the winter there is queer so porn festivals. Yeah, queer porn festivals. <laughs> yeah, but also to Portland's credit, I wouldn't identify as queer or like understand queerness. Um, and intersectionality if I hadn't lived in Portland because I learned so much in that and that year year and a half that I was there that about what it means to be queer what intersectionality is what the relationship between queerness and trans people and people of color all, all of that came into focus for me and I in Portland and became of importance to me in Portland so you know that year I will always cherish it there to that point we both were kind of in states of transition Mm -hmm. um, while we were also trying to work on this special special project for us I didn't think many people were going to even listen to to the podcast (laughs) (laughs) I mean I hoped people would seeing that as we talked in uh, our episode uh, our fifth episode you know having that feedback it was kind of like pretty amazing it's real because I didn't think that it was going to have that reach as well Mm -hmm. so and also, we're just like two dumb faggots that are talking <laughs> about like sex, but apparently that resonates with people a lot. And so, because faggots hate sex, faggots hate. <laughs> <laughs> but here's the biggest news of of it all. Since we recorded our last episode, the biggest thing that RB is nervous. I can see him right now to share with everyone is that he's been celibate. <laughs> that siren, that siren is that actually siren. the most appropriate <laughs> response. That <laughs> siren actually that, was so That was so the ambulance well. coming to pick up Artie's <laughs> dead body. Because <laughs> I he was imagining died. what was his life would be like without sex. He wasn't able to I was definitely flatlining it. right there. He was. No, that's not fucking true at all. Far Arby's from a, it. Arby's a slut. <laughs> I am too. We both are. Here we are with the labels. Here, I know, exactly. We're stewing labels. <laughs> but yeah, we didn't see each other for... I didn't see you for how long? Uh, I left in November. It was... No, yeah. it was... Well, 11 yes. months. No, 10 it months. Was, yes, 10 months. Yeah, because it's, it was November 16 through... Uh, Folsom. Through Folsom. Yeah. yeah. September. September. Oh my gosh, right? Crazy. And then since September to now, it's been... Six months. Yeah. Well, no, December. Oh, well, we saw each other in yeah, December. Yeah, we saw. You know, yeah, we tried to record something in December. Just we to did. Be, let's be on it. Let's be transparent yeah, about we where did. we are. Guys, we're a little nervous to <laughs> be back in the studio just because, I don't know. We want to create. We want to create something meaningful. And we want those that have started out listening to us to continue to feel that, you know, connection. And we want to make sure that we're creating and cultivating a community of power verses and challenging ourselves to find more power verses that are working towards their craft and their truer selves and 
illuminating those stories on our podcast. And that takes time. Mm-hmm. And it takes planning. And coordination. And coordination. And money. And money. And changes. So if you have any <laughs> money you want to send our way, we are taking donations. We need to start a GoFundMe for this shit. It <laughs> costs money. It's very difficult. You know, Arby lives in San Francisco. I live in Los Angeles now. We thought that that would make it easier, which it has made it, it has easier. Much, made it much easier. But it's still difficult to coordinate. Putting out something meaningful once a month actually is, I think it's much harder than we ever thought. I, we originally thought it was going to be a weekly look at what it means to be gay. Naive. What the fuck were we thinking? <laughs> a weekly look. A weekly I didn't have out. a life back then. That's why. <laughs> you were in Portland. I was in Portland without meaningful right. employment. <laughs> so you were ready for it. So I was ready to A die. weekly key. Exactly. Maybe I was just lonely there and I wanted you to come up more often. Oh, here comes manipulative Michael. <laughs> Is that my nickname? <laughs> <laughs> the seeds Jesus. I've planted. Well, uh, well, it seems like we have just kind of audited ourselves about where we've been and why we've been gone from the podcast. And we are definitely happy to be back. Over this last year, it's been, you know, exciting for us. And we've well, worked and learned a bunch. Yeah, what'd you learn in Europe? Like, what was the point of your whole fucking trip? You left for... You left in November to go to a wedding in India, knowing you were going to stay for at least a little little bit i left to go see the world mm-hmm. which you hadn't done really. and what well, well yeah i mean has anyone tell- has anyone ever really seen the world i wanted to take a moment i think everyone needs to take breaks i think that's a, essential to emotional well-being and i love to adventure uh, i love to take flight and i love traveling and i enjoy doing that you know solo so well, i've created an opportunity for myself to go explore in india and backpack around Southeast Asia. I kind of call it the um, soul search on a shoestring budget trip. <laughs> it was impressive what you were doing. Yeah, I know. And, and I was only supposed to be away for three months. I had planned to just kind of take a three-month break, and that turned into eight months. So I guess to answer what I learned from that, whew, that's, a, that's a loaded question. I learned a lot about myself. I learned a lot about what it means to connect with other cultures and communities. I learned a lot about getting vulnerable and appreciating solitude and moving through spaces of loneliness and, you know, listening to yourself. I learned about what my body can and can't eat. (laughs) I went through, you know, all types of trials. I learned about fleeting romances and what it's like to have these heightened experiences with a person and, and a very short amount of time and I don't necessarily know if that's something specific to you know wandering and everyone can kind of have these type of interactions but there's something about being out of, outside of your normal and daily routine and then meeting someone uh, away in this perfected world you've kind of created as yourself as a traveler and experiencing romance and that so that was really fun I learned about how much I love and hate America so <laughs> You know, that's that's kind of some of the things that I learned over that uh, that bit of time. Eight months. Eight nine, months. Eight months you were gone? Eight, almost nine. I birthed this spiritual baby. <laughs> Travel baby. And then you killed it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I killed it. Uh, <laughs> that was rude. <laughs> She's so shady. I'm not shady. I'm just keeping it, keeping it real. Um, yeah. Yeah, and we didn't see each other in Europe at all. We missed each other a few times. It's the ongoing there. joke. 
I know. We will never, we can never be <laughs> in Europe at the same time. Didn't, when I lived in Berlin, yeah, you came to Berlin, but I was on vacation outside of Berlin. Like, you were on vacation from vacation. I wasn't on vacation. <laughs> I was supposed to be living there. I did make it happen. I know. <laughs> but you know, in retrospect. Guys, if you haven't realized it now, we have trouble settling <laughs> in a space. So in a year, we'll see who's in LA and who's in San Francisco. No, I will be in LA. I moved to LA. I know I'm gonna I I think I will be in LA for at least no I'm gonna be in LA for a while I feel really at home here visiting you it seems you seem settled and you seem happy and you got some great stuff going on it's nice really I'm happy for you I'm totally happy for no you. I know you're happy for me but do I seem genuinely happy you seem in really great in a really good place yeah. Are you not? Are you? Are you? No, I'm just like I'm looking for validation. <laughs> <laughs> Seeking validation. Yeah. No, you seem happy. L. A. is really in this really beautiful kind of renaissance period. I think where you've got tons and tons of like creative artists migrating here because cost of living is cheaper than New York. Not I wouldn't call L. A. cheap. It's a lot more affordable than I imagined it to be. And so you just have like a really nice base of creative, interesting people here that are doing interesting work and that, and, and I'm really lucky to be running a space that brings me in contact with like such interesting people on such a regular basis. I think that the, the criticism about LA is that it's so separated and so far apart that it's hard to find community here. I think it can be a very isolating city that the only two people you know live in Santa Monica and you live in Echo Park, you're probably not going to see your friends very often. And yeah. that can be really lonely. I, I'm reminded of that every time I come to Los Angeles and I go out and I'm like, why do I always have to bring things back to hooking up? But <laughs> I mean, just be honest. I'm just thinking about over the weekend and you're reminded of that, how much just the, the sprawlingness affects. Yeah, what did that guy say to you? Oh, where did, what did that guy? affects you in LA. Oh, wait, which one? <laughs> no, the guy that was like, "So where are you? Where are you staying?" And you're like, "You're in Pasadena. Oh. I'm not going home with you." <laughs> oh yeah, he was like, "Where are you staying?" And I was like, "I'm staying in like East East Hollywood, like Koreatown area, but I'm staying with the friend, so like I can't have you come over." He was like, "I'm in Pasadena," and I was like, "Oh no." <laughs> <laughs> nice long, to meet you. He's shaking his hand to say goodbye. <laughs> That's not gonna happen. Uh, what is changing about Powerverse? Nothing, really. Not much. I think what's been really clear is that the first episodes of Powerverse were made in this kind of vacuum before we knew the state uh, that the world would be in um, with our current president and his presidency. And so what's become important to us about Powerverse and what our mission and focus really is here, it's about cultivating a community of inspiring queer and LGBT people, you know, a bunch of Powerverses that we can give visibility to through the podcast. And so we're still gonna do the same thing that we've always done, but we're gonna celebrate people who are making a meaningful contribution in their own communities and the ones that they live in or work in and create through their art or through their discourse, their work, their experiences. And we wanna shine a light on them so that all of you and all of us can just fucking feel better about the world that we're living in and feel inspired to to live a more authentic life. So that we can get up and walk out of the door and not, you know, have this anxiety looming over us. I don't know about everyone else, but some days I'm like, I don't want to face the world. 
No. You know, it can be difficult with all that's going on. And especially, you know, just to be real, being gay, queer, black on top of that in this political climate, you know, you got to put on an armor. Every day. Every day. I know. Um, So hopefully this podcast will continue to, you know, arm you or soften or, you know, make, you know, inspire you in that way to, to feel empowered. Yeah. And to laugh. And to laugh and to key and to be a slut. Yeah. Or not. Or not. your sub voice mm, yeah <laughs> give it to me oh. i've grown out a mustache lately and i i think i've been coming the daddy that i've always was meant to be maybe mm-hmm. and this guy he messaged me on grinder was like oh are you into daddy son role-playing and he was cute i don't remember he was in his 20s like 22 23 and i was like i mean I can get into it if you need me to get into it, but I had no idea what was to come because he, <laughs> you're giving me this look like you're I'm scared of what's Because I haven't heard this one and I'm happy to hear it. Well, no, he, so we, I was like, sure, whatever, I'll, I, I, may, I mean, as a, as a former performer or as a performer, I, you know, whatever, a little role play elevates the experience for me sometimes. And so we get into Ben, he's like, so are you okay with? you know, daddy, son, role playing. I was like, sure, whatever, sounds good. And as we like start hooking up, he literally, he had spoke normal, had like a normal, it was just like a normal chill guy. Mm -hmm. And then when we got into bed though, he immediately switched to this voice where he was like, Mm, yeah, daddy. Oh, daddy. Oh, you like it when I suck on your dick, daddy. Oh, daddy, put, put your dick in me, please, oh, daddy. I don't know that I'm. I'm in. He outperformed that. you. He, oh, daddy. Yeah, right. yeah, daddy. Well, I didn't know what he wanted to be. <laughs> oh yeah, son. Yeah, suck on daddy's dick. But what did baby. you think it was supposed to do? Were you you thought it wasn't gonna be? You I thought it was. I thought he was gonna call me pitch. daddy occasionally, and I would maybe throw in the word boy every once in a while, and it would be fine. No, he wanted it. This is in L.A. Yeah, this is in L.A. He wanted a committed actress. <laughs> what do you mean? He thought he was just gonna say daddy. Or something. Well, finally, I switched out of. He that. wanted a method approach <laughs> i mean i wasn't staying hard it was not working to his benefit and then finally afterwards i was like so i'm curious like do you have daddy issues and he's, oh god and he was like you wanted to get oh, i know of course exit interview <laughs> <laughs> and he said no i love my dad we have a great relationship i just am really into daddy son play it's just my fetish role play is awkward for you yes or in general my ex for me I, my ex and i used to role play maybe so this is what i've never i have done I've had grind interactions where guys have said like are you into role playing I'm like you're hot so yes I'll be into it and I'll try it out and it's always been awkward and what I realized is that I don't think role play works for me while I'm still um, navigating the quick hookup culture I think like with a companion or a partner role play can be a little different because you like know one another and you can like think it through but like at least in the quick hookup culture that I'm like kind of still navigating Roleplay has just always been really awkward. Do you ever get worried about the type of roleplay they're going to ask you for? Is that part of it? No, because... I mean, the the, the ones that they've already asked, they only... Oh, wait. <laughs> I have a story. I'm sure you do. 
I yes. was trying to serve you up a story. You were trying like to serve me a story, I and I had to. I had to take a second and think, and then you know how like when the hourglass is loading in a computer. So I was trying to go through all the files. <laughs> I was like, "All right, files, 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 this files." Have I had an this awkward the- role playing moment? Yes. Went over to this guy's place, and we did not talk about role plays. It was just like a hookup. But when I got there, he kind of had like a custom closet. So he's like, "Oh, do you want to try on some stuff?" And I'm like. Yeah, absolutely. I, I was like, I, I'll put on some stuff. My thing is always, if it will make the experience hotter, and we both agree to it, why not try it out? But wait, what type of costume? So that's what I'm getting to. Oh. <laughs> so then I'm he imagining. had like he had some like he had cuffs, and then he had like hats and like jock straps and harnesses and different things like that. And he was like, you know, and so then he was like, you want to be cuffed? And I was just like, all right, um, maybe. And then eventually he was like, all right, well, I have an idea. Can you put on this like hat, wear it backwards, and then these cuffs, and then like everything felt like he was a police officer arresting a black man, and I was just like, no, Mm-mm. I can't do that, Mm-mm. and this is awkward for me. Did you leave? Yes. Did you fuck him first? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not giving you that easy. Uh-huh. <laughs> So you cut. We we hooked up. We didn't. I did not get in cuffs. I did not get in hat. I was just like, this is uncomfortable. No, I was just like, how about we not? How about we not be in any costume or anything like that? I I like I like a good role play occasionally. I liked. She's sitting in a coach shirt right now. FYI. (laughs) (laughs) I guess I did wear the coach shirt today. (laughs) Coach athlete is not one of my preferred role plays. I think it's a hilarious one though. Yeah. It is hot. They're all hot to think about. I guess it's all about the fantasy. What's the hottest hookup you want to... What do you want to share? Damn. I'm going to have to go first. Well, I mean, I'll tell you. Mine. <laughs> I just feel like... <laughs> no, I'll go. Okay. And it was the most... Re- it was recent. It was yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> so am I going to tell it or is she going to tell it? <laughs> this hookup was really hot yesterday. And it was recent hookup but the the reason I think this was a hot and special hookup was because I realized how amazing it is to kind of play the long game and be patient and I think that's what it made that hookup so hot was that there was all this anticipation for us to finally you know get in a bedroom together and you know play and fool around and it had been more than a year in the making mm. and you know at that point when you are still interacting with someone and you, you're seeing them on on the ground or on Facebook and you know there's this sexual chemistry and you know one day it's going to happen you build up all these ideas around you know what 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 it would be and it just end up being hot because you come with all that anticipation and then it was exactly that and more mm-hmm. so that's why the hookup was pretty pretty high and also really special but did you know when you invited him out that you no Oh, I did not. You didn't think it would happen. You didn't know it would. I happen? didn't know if it would happen. Did I you didn't think know that he wanted to fuck you? Yes. Had that been made clear? No. We've never explicitly said like when we see each other we're gonna bang or anything like that or fuck. It was always just like we should you know hang out and we missed each other a few times. Me being in Los Angeles and then I thought about him. And I think about him, he, you know, crosses my mind from time to time. And while I was here, I was like, oh, let me reach out and see if he wants to come out tonight to hang out. And he was just like, oh, I actually have plans 
to just chill. He's like, but Chinatown, I'm, I'm gonna come out. And yeah, he came out, we had fun, and then he left. Mm-hmm. So then I was like, oh, we're not hooking up, because then he ended up leaving the party. Right. And messaged me and was just like, hey, sorry, I ghosted. I like, you know, I did like a party hop or whatever. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. Um, and we were like kind of going back and forth texting. And then he was like, do you want to come over? Like, are you still up? And I was just like, yeah, I'm still up. Yeah, I'm down to come over. I can come over and kick it. And he was just like, ha ha, cute. So I guess I didn't. <laughs> I mean, you didn't you think know, you were, no. <laughs> so let me let me clarify it here. You thought when he said, do you want to come over and kick it at I six said, in the morning I, <laughs> after you'd been partying all night, he just wanted to have tea in the morning with you? called out (laughs) so yeah anyway that was that was fun I don't know if anyone out there can relate to like you know having anticipating uh, a moment with someone putting in the work or not even necessarily putting in the work but just waiting until the stars in line for that moment to happen and it's and it just you know working out and being hot it's so much better than you have all that anticipation and then it's It's, shit it's weak and Mm -hmm. dry my hottest hookup was definitely this last week too (laughs) but no it was this really 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 wonderful neighbor of mine (laughs) he said to me that he was only a top and he was like do you just want to like maybe give each other head and usually i'm like i i don't really love getting head that much but i was like you know what this sounds nice like let's smoke some weed give each other a blowjob call it a night Mm -hmm. and he said to me like i i don't bottom ever um but little did she know. Things change. I love this thing. <laughs> we were hooking up and, you know, we were giving each other head. He had a perfect, I mean, just a perfect uncut penis. And I don't mean to, like, fetishize uncut penises, but I just, I love them. I think they're so beautiful to look at. I yeah, they are. I'm, I am sad about having lost my foreskin you appreciate an uncut penis. It's I do. Fine. No, I know. I'm just I'm I'm salivating thinking about one right now. And <laughs> so we we were giving each other a head and then my my you know, my secret weapon is the rim job. I'm just I love to do it and I'm very good. I'm feeling I'm getting a little I'm a little, a little embarrassed. Yeah, I haven't yeah, really, yeah. I feel like I'm telling you. Telling too much? Not telling no, too much, but I haven't I don't know, I'm not yeah, used yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyways, I love to give rim jobs. Slide into my DMs if you'd like one. Um, <laughs> but, uh, no. You're about to get butthole pics. Good, I hope I do. <laughs> no, but I started rimming him, and then all of a sudden, he turned around and he just said, I want you to fuck me. And so I did. And it was just hot. He hadn't been fucked, he said, in like over a year, maybe. And Hashtag fact check. <laughs> We've yet to get a hot hookup of the week from anyone in our email inbox so <laughs> if you have one you can send it to powerversepodcast at gmail.com yeah please send us one we definitely want to uh, read through one and or, know, slide into our, or slide into our DMs you can Instagram yeah. you can send an Instagram messenger at powerversepodcast questions yeah. about hookups yeah you can ask or just you know read us we'd like to be read <laughs> I'm scared This episode today, we're interviewing Mandy Harris-Williams, who is this amazing activist and artist and writer, and we're discussing with her a lot about social media and our feeds and how we can um, make sure that 
the things that we're seeing on social media aren't influencing us in negative ways. And we wanted to talk a little bit today about the link between social media and technology and its relationship to our own emotional well-being. And I think it's been just like a rough winter for both of us in a lot of ways. I think you were really feeling it up there a little bit. Yeah, I went through a funk, a bit of a, had a little bit of a dark, depressed state for a few I don't know how long it lasted. And I think a lot of that attributed to me just coming back from my trip and settling back into San Francisco and starting a new job and like all the things that come with just being in a state of transition again and plus on top of just the general winter affecting like my circadian rhythm and you know all of that. So yeah, I had that and whenever I kind of go through these moods or these phases, I try to take a step back and say like, okay, what can I address that can influence or lessen the this this state, you know? And one of the things that I think I know how to immediately dial back on is like my relationship between, you know, technology or or things that I don't necessarily think are feeding me in the best way. Mm -hmm. So I was just like, all right, let me pause on a few things, a few maybe take a break from grinder or making sure that I'm not falling into using using apps or technology unhealthily. So what'd you do? Well, recently I took myself off of my social meds, as I'll call it. <laughs> <laughs> I got off my social meds. So a combination of things, and I think everyone has their own routine when they kind of uh, are, are in a funk, and it's, for me, a structure, getting sleep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and trying to create more time for myself. And I, I found that my use of time on social media wasn't necessarily productive. And starting a job, I wanted to feel productive, so I just deleted Instagram and Facebook for about three weeks, and I just got a lot of time back to do things that, shit, I forget I could do, like, you know, books that, you know, I haven't even opened, or just, you know, writing, or just having time catching up on TV shows. Anyway, just removing myself from those networks for a bit. And it was nice. I do think that, like, for me, the inundation of information that comes through social media is overwhelming and definitely contributes to your emotional being, your anxiety, your depression. Just, like, that barrage of information, like, Mm -hmm. sweeping over you constantly is, like, is overwhelming and definitely was not serving it's yeah. not serving us yeah for sure you just always when you're on social when you're on social media and as wonderful as you know instagram facebook and some of those platforms are and connecting people you're also always taking in everyone's opinion and their thought processes or their opinion and their thoughts and there are people that are that are having negative experiences out in the world and they're putting that on the platform and sometimes i think that that those emotions can be contagious and you don't realize how much they're dripping into your psyche or mm-hmm. you're internalizing other people's negativity and sometimes those negative experiences need to happen mm-hmm. or ne- need to be voiced mm-hmm. but it's just like i guess filtering how much of that you take depending on where you you are with yourself, you know, emotionally. So, like, if you're in a good headspace, then, yeah, you can probably read through a bunch of posts. Yeah, I mean, I turned off all my notifications from Facebook and Instagram so I don't see them anymore, which was helpful. Mm -hmm. I still kept the apps. Uh, Same with, like, the news channel. My phone was buzzing every five minutes about all these terrible things happening. And so, thank God, a friend of mine told me to turn off all those notifications. That was helpful. Um, 
I deleted Grinder as well for a month when I first moved to LA, and that was the best. How did that feel? Ugh. Oh yeah, I remember you wanted to. Yeah, tell tell more about no, why uh, you decided when you d first moved to LA to delete it. Right. Well, and I've deleted it a couple of times since. I mean, I'm con. I mean, like, we're, I think we're all like constantly deleting you and reinstalling, delete. deleting and installing. <laughs> delete you install <laughs> you cry you delete and what's you frustrating install. is that when you delete grinder you don't get the messages back so you don't know who you've talked to and then you look like an asshole when they message you and they're you're like hey can you send your pics and they're like i sent them five times <laughs> you just gotta put a lot you gotta put the lost all messages no i when i moved to la i really wanted to i wanted to approach being in la i don't know just with fresh eyes i knew that i was going to be meeting people through running the space and I running Nabel and I knew that I was going to be inundated meeting a lot of new people so it was like you don't need to like occupy your time on Grinder because it can become such a time waste you know like a time suck where you're like I didn't need to meet I I was already going to be meeting enough people that I, I didn't need to go on like a random dick date or a random just date with someone that's a stranger like instead I really wanted to just focus on letting things happen naturally and letting mm -hmm. things happen without the uh, the assistance of any technology. I felt more like aware, I felt more in the moment with everyone, I was more present mm -hmm. because I wasn't thinking about these uh, these random people that aren't actually even real and they're not even real. I mean they are real people of course when you meet them, but a real lot of relationships. Yeah, they're not. They don't, you know, it's everything is so functional, it's all transactional. And not for everyone, I'm only speaking, I guess, for myself, but a lot of the times when I am on Grindr, it all feels just very functional. Even going on a date feels functional, mm -hmm. as opposed to letting things just kind of naturally grow and progress. And I found myself more connected to my own sexual energy as well. Like, I think that when we use Grindr, like, you know, every guy on Grindr is like, hey, you're like, oh, are you horny? Right. And like, oh, I'm always horny. Well, you're not actually, I mean, I mean I'm sure some guys are physically always horny, mm -hmm. but... I'm not. I know that I'm not physically, I'm not like walking around with a boner at all right. times or even thinking about sex constantly. I mean, I think about sex a lot, right. but I'm not actually thinking that. But when guys ask me, are you horny? I'll often be like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm always horny. But I'm not horny. Your brain is like tricked into thinking you're horny because you're, you're on the right, app right. and you're looking at photos of guys and they're hot photos, and so of course your dick's gonna get hard, but that's not actually horniness. Right. That's like your body being trained by technology to, to react in a specific way to the process. You're like reacting to the process that you know is familiar to you. And so what was really special is that like, I actually started feeling actual horniness, I think. Like, Randomly. it had been like, yeah, it had been like, you know, two weeks that, since I had had sex with someone or been naked or even I think I didn't even I wasn't even masturbating that much during mm -hmm. that time which was also lovely take breaks uh-huh and then all of a sudden there was like an actual chemical inside my body horniness to the whole thing that I was like oh I'm this is refreshing this is feeling and then I was like oh wait I should go out I need to go out tonight I want to go out and meet someone tonight mm -hmm. and I went out and ended up meeting a guy out and going home with him and that just felt I don't know it just was so much more natural it felt antiquated yeah, a little <laughs> antiquated, but also just like really, I don't, it was refreshing. It yeah. was a reminder that like technology, yes, is a really beautiful tool that can be used in really lovely ways. Like I've made amazing friends on Grindr and I think 
it's you know it's connected the world in really really amazing ways you can go to like a new city and not be alone you can meet when you're traveling really awesome interesting people but in my day-to-day -day life i just question whether or not i should be on it as as much as i as much as i am it was nice for that month to just take a break and then be able to like reestablish some norms of how i'm using grinder to meet people Today we have the pleasure of being here with the beautiful and brilliant Mandy Harris-Williams, a theorist, text-based conceptual artist, writer, educator, and blogger, and the director of Hashtag Brown Up Your Feed. She loves and thinks a lot. <laughs> she is also the author of an ongoing pamphlet series called Color Values, which you can find in Third Magazine or at special events near you. You can follow her at Ideal Black Female on Instagram and at Mandy Thinks on Twitter. Welcome, Mandy. Thanks for having hi. me, guys. Hi, 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 hi. We're really happy to have you here. I'm hey, excited. You're actually our first guest we've ever interviewed in person. You are. Yeah. Actually, you are. Oh, and, thank uh, God I'm live. cute. And, yeah, exactly. It, <laughs> you're good to look at. And it's kind of funny because you're our first IRL guest and we're talking about social media. Oh, that's true. <laughs> I love to collapse the space myself. So. Yeah. <laughs> okay, well, let's get into it. You started your post-college career as a classroom teacher, and now you're a full-time artist and writer. Um, tell us about your journey from education to art and activism. I was making like lots of essays in the classroom while I was teaching. I also found that like the social practice of being an educator was like really compelling or like presenting ideas or like working with preconceived understandings. So I've kind of utilized a lot of that teaching practice in my current artistic practice so it, it has felt kind of like a natural transition in a way it's very much the same same system of like interacting it's just different ideas different age level I guess like nobody has to take tests at well no yeah. <laughs> there are there are certainly tests. There are definitely tests. <laughs> <laughs> Pamphlets are called color values. Yeah. There's two so far. Yes. The first one is called getting fed from your feed. Uh huh. And today we've been discussing our own emotional well-being and how social media and apps influence that for better or for worse. And so, <clears throat> Instagram, for example, has 500 million daily users it can be said that it's done a, a job in connecting us to one another, to giving us inspiration, to allowing us to keep in touch, to know what's going on with others. You use Instagram as a platform for sharing your own works, but as you've noted, Instagram is often derivative of previous ecologies, right? It, the politics of representation, as well as access right, to machines, yeah. the technical skills that are needed in order to make an app like Instagram and the mm -hmm. privilege that goes along with having those skills. So I guess my question is, is Instagram inherently evil? How is social media failing us? I'll start with the positive, which I don't usually touch on. Um, <laughs> Someone's feeling good. <laughs> the sun is shining. We in Los Angeles, the clouds is out. <laughs> I went to the Dominican salon. Um, <laughs> um, I'll say that uh, Instagram has allowed people to connect across like greater distances. It is easier to produce media that could be interpreted as uh, professional or stylized. It's easier to share that. I mean, it might not have been even 10 years ago where if you were making a creative product, there wouldn't necessarily have been a platform that was like easy to use, easily accessible. I'm gonna speak more specifically to Instagram where I talk about like 
how it's failed us. I think with Instagram, you still do have, let's say you have an uh, older generation Android versus iPhone 10, right? You want to take a self-portrait. And then you post that self-portrait to Instagram. There is some sort of interpretation of, you know, okay, there's a value difference here in like the quality of the photo, right? So mm. in that way, like it's still really apparent to see that there are divisions I guess in, in how people are able to access uh, the platforms and then it redoubles that division right so like people who are posting so-called quality pictures high expense high production value pictures will then come to the top of this hierarchy and people who are not able to produce that sort of picture because of you know the machinery they're working with or even something as simple simple as like the background of what their room looks like yeah. right mm -hmm. that is affecting the ability to be taken seriously so in some ways it's a it's a slightly newer problem right because people weren't taking selfies with you know the same frequency as before in some ways it's an old problem because it just reflects the fact that some people have you know a faster phone higher internet connectivity an ability to have a highly stylized bedroom or background you know whether that's and that can be like in your bedroom or like in Greece or you know. <laughs> yeah, one of those. That, that's actually such a, a great point because I recently went traveling and I didn't bring a camera. I just brought my iPhone and like a notebook and I was just going to document my thoughts that way. And I was like, oh, I should bring a professional camera. But then I thought I was like, oh, you know, I'll just take pictures on my iPhone. And like while being away, obviously there are all these new phones that come out and new uh, evolutions of like the camera on the phones. And I was thinking, I was just like, oh, my pictures are a little blurry. Like, <laughs> these are not going to get any likes, you know? Like, to that yeah, point, you kind of become conscious of this and it affects if, you know, the content you're creating is worth being shared. Yeah, I mean, I definitely had that moment where when the 10 came out and they were like portrait mode, I was like, oh, like, do I have to level up? I'm trying to like actually share like quality photos. I'm like, even though I share a lot of thoughts for some reason, the selfies still get a lot of likes. So I'm <laughs> like, you know, do I need to increase my ability to produce like a high quality selfie? You know, it's hard to not want to uh, play keeping up with the Joneses. And, and another part that I wanted to ask you with the social media following us outside of kind of like limited by the type of technology, is social media failing a particular sect or person or individual more than others? Why, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Let me serve that for you. <laughs> I'll serve this question right up to you. Funny you should ask. Um, yeah, so a lot of like what Brown Up Your Feed intends to do is really like square away how anti-blackness Specifically, in my case, anti-blackness, anti-womanness, anti-dark black womanness is, you know, a trend on Instagram. And there's a lot of reasons for that. One of the reasons that I'm kind of investigating is just like screen history in general, media history in general, right? So like how have dark-skinned black women been represented on screens? And if we're like, if there's something almost incomprehensible about seeing us on screen, then like there's just going to be this cognitive disconnect, right? But to see women with natural hair on Instagram has been like, you know, it's it's this whole discussion of like, how do we see black women with natural hair? Is it something that's acceptable? And it's a movement that's really been like emboldened by platforms like Instagram. Then you look at it again, right? And then the other side of it is that 
the natural hair movement has kind of veered to this point where many of the women who are the stars or forerunners of the natural hair movement are women who are, you know, fair-skinned black women. So it's like that white supremacy kind of creeps in. So Brown Up Your Feet is kind of an effort to go darker. And like specifically, you know, for me, I'm investigating and I'm, I'm interested in like slave slaveability like plausibility of sla- slaveability right so i'm curious about like do we have a preference for east african women on social media because there isn't like some seed of like remembrance of slavery so like i'm thinking about why why are people kind of pushed to the extremities i think blackness has something to do with it i think slaveability has something to do with it i think there are other you know spectrum as well right so like there's queerness conventional attractiveness fatness all of these things that are trying to be reclaimed and then in the reclamation what are the what are the things that we have to negotiate right like how have we been or how have some people we been excluded from screen culture and then why are we now justified back into screen culture and are we and how so and what does that look like? What are the compromises we make as we represent ourselves um, on the small screen? Yeah. There's a passivity, I think, to social media consumption in general, right? We just mm-hmm. kind of take what's given to us. Yeah. And we don't take personal responsibility for what Absolutely. we can do to yeah. make sure that we are seeing the right things. And I don't, without giving away all of the work that you've done for these pamphlets, which you should all by yeah can you give us at least a, a peek or a preview of maybe some things that w- we can do to you know brown up our feet yeah I mean I think it like and also it doesn't have to be like brown up your feet like for me for my health for the things that I say are important to me I have to brown up my feet like mm. I believe in black liberation I believe in like I in dismantling like white supremacy that's my like central mission Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um a lot of people say they do and yet when you look at their chosen media right it's like white supremacists they have chosen to expose themselves to white people in their feeds so i mean exposure is it has its obvious benefits like if you are interested in black culture like you should be seeing black people if somebody tells me oh yeah I'm concerned with um, dismantling white supremacy. I browned up my feed and I go onto their feed and I see like a bunch of like titty models. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Coom booty models. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to be like, okay, so you're sexually browning up your feed and right. that is white supremacist in that we have always been, you know, as sexualized. right, sexualized. So yes, you're browning up your feed, but are you working against white supremacy? in that browning so i think right now like brown up your feet is very much a conversation of how and i have like ideas of how to do it right like add add at ideal black female add at jill is black add at bad dominicana i love bad dominicana as well oh my gosh shout out to bad dominicana yeah um representing for afro latinas and just Unrelenting. That's a that's has been an Instagram account for me as I realize being a gay black queer man and trying to understand the intersectionality between all of mm-hmm. different genders. I was like, I need to expose myself to more, you know, intellectual conversations that are happening on platforms about things I don't understand. And that platform, along with 
U.S. has been vital for me. Um, one of the other things I've kind of thought about with the brown up your feet and how it's, you know, centered in, I guess, following, selecting mm -hmm. the follow button. But is there, you know, a point to people that are concerned with dismantling white supremacy also being more actionizing and posting yeah. more brown people? Not just following, but also saying, I'm into dismantling, so I'm going to post more photos of brown people in my, even though I am not a person of color. I think that's a really good question. It's a really complicated one mm -hmm. because on one hand you can have this like tokenism, right? Like where you're like, oh, like here I am with my black girlfriend, like, you know, and that would be like a tokenization or usurpation of the black body such that you can earn social capital, right? And that is right. the crux of white supremacy, right? Using black bodies for capital. I prefer for people to just like amplify the way that I've wanted to be represented so something that I've asked my followers to do and I really ap truly appreciate when they do is like if I have a story or if I have a post that you know you really resonate with tag somebody or you know post it to your story or you know just give us the mic and help us and you know make bigger speakers I think for like people of color or people who feel that they have something to contribute to like showing themselves or like feel that it is a political exercise to or personal political exercise, affirming exercise to put their bodies as, you know, representative of a browning or queering or fattening. I would say, yeah, just I think I think we just need to be really mindful about like the digital space that we take up. I, I wouldn't say that I have like an exact prescription for how to actionize mm -hmm. that. I do like like every time I've presented on Brown Up Your Feet, I'm just always kind of overwhelmed by like the discourse more than anything of like, oh wow, I hadn't thought about that or like you know, it's something for us to think about together, to have these IRL, you know, backslash URL conversations about like, how are we using this platform? Is it ethical? Is Does it match, you know, the vision for, you know, how we exercise our digital values? Did you find it hard to claim artist as part of your identity? Like I have found it hard, I think actually my entire life. I mean, I grew up as a performer. I yeah. did theater, I was an actor, musical theater. And then I, you know, rejected that as part of my identity when I veered to Mormon, which is a longer story. Um, but then coming out of that experience as well, then I had studied business right. and I went to school for arts management. It was what I got my master's in. And so I kind of separated myself from yeah. artist or creative. And even today, even though I'm doing more and more creative things, putting my own work out there, I still have a hard time owning yeah. that identity because there is this feeling of like, I, I guess I'm doing it to myself that I have a hard time saying yes I'm an artist or yes I'm creative yeah. or moving into that as part of my identity. I wonder if there's anything that's been difficult for you. Oh yeah, I would say in two ways, in two ways that I can really identify or like draw a um, thematic pattern. I would say the first is education as a liberator. I was watching this video with this fantastic young woman and she said these words uh, education has always been liberatory for black people and I was like <laughs> <laughs> because you know in a way yes obviously it gives us access to avenues that we would not otherwise have on the other hand I think that there has been this tradition of you can be an executive a doctor or a lawyer if you want to be legitimated as a black person and it doesn't leave a lot of space especially for critical art right like you can either be a, a doctor a lawyer an executive a basketball player like a physical art of sorts uh, a dancer or you know 
singer or a rapper, you know. So mm-hmm. I didn't really find it was difficult for me to like as a somebody who was raised with this very middle class mindset of like you're gonna go to the best school and you're gonna do this. Shout out to my parents. You guys yeah. really did work hard yeah. to even have the privilege to say that to me. Mm-hmm. But it definitely gave me a certain pathway for the first many years of my life. And then I'd say like the other thing that made it difficult for me to be an artist was, or claim being an artist, has definitely been, and I'm really, I really push back against it. Like, part of my work is affirming myself, right? Like, I, lots of my work is affirming myself. It's, mm-hmm. you know, derivative of this personal experience of being excluded from all these places I felt qualified to be in, including everyone's hearts. <laughs> <laughs> so that's just as well. <laughs> I should add that to my bio. <laughs> the ability to see yourself as an artist, as a black woman, as an artist, as a black woman who's like not stick thin, as an artist, as a black woman who's dark, as an artist, as a black woman who, you know, doesn't have a nose job, right? Like, right. there's just not a ton of models. So, and there still, still aren't. So, <sighs> I'm trying to like be that for myself. And also, you know, in the browning up of my feed, trying to expose myself to those people who are, you know, um, making an art out of thought and relationships and, you know, socializing, which I think, you know, is valid, right? Like, who's to say that art is always on a canvas? Who's to say that the way that we interact and consider one another shouldn't be more artful and critical? What does it mean to be a Powerverse to you? Oh, okay. To me, being a Powerverse and browning up your feed is like very well-suited partnership. Here's why. Because I think as we go through life, we realize like that there are these categories we have been fed and they do not serve us and they are not realistic. And that, you know, our attractions, our interactions often go outside of those categories, you know, whether it's man or woman queer straight it's just like as we grow we must become more versatile it seems to be like a point of cultural maturity where we're like willing to start to investigate what it means to drop those categories platonic romantic is another big binary i've been like eh, i don't really fuck with it irl url even Yeah, so to just, like, ask those questions and, like, deconstruct, you know, what we've been, like, spoon-fed. Alice Barker actually talks about this a lot, where you psychologically just become dependent, like, for your orgasm on a specific set of values that are represented usually visually, right? And then so that you begin to think that you are, like, attracted to or want to interact in this way because you've been told, like, this is what will make you come. You know, Mm -hmm. like, this is what will bring you closer to that moment of truth, right? That moment of, like, organic bodily truth. And it gets so linked and reinforced over and over again. And we sometimes don't think to step outside of, like, you know, what what are... First of all, some of us don't even think, like, what are my senses? Like, what do they mean to me? (laughs) when When I receive touch, like, what is the texture of it, you know? Like, so to open up and, like, become more versatile in those ways is, like... You know, it's such a, like, rewarding for me. I'm a learner. It's such a rewarding learning process. So I guess that's what it would mean to be, like, a powerverse, like, being open to learning, like, what what your senses mean to you in, in a more, like, immediate way, less structural, less categorical way. Mm. 
Did that I, do it I for know, you guys? You just said. <laughs> yeah, you, you turned me off. <laughs> <laughs> I'm educator seductress learner truth this is called a classing session yeah. <laughs> you well, guys are really i'm gonna definitely link this on my social media oh. you're making me sound really sexy <laughs> well we're so grateful that you stopped by today and that you're here with us yeah and we loved having you so it was a pleasure everyone go follow Mandy at Ideal Black Female on Instagram or, or at Mandy underscore Thinks on Twitter. And uh, follow hashtag Brown Up Your Feed. You can follow hashtags oh, yeah. now. You can yeah. follow hashtags now. So follow hashtag Brown Up Your Feed. Yeah. Thanks so much, Mandy. Thanks so, thanks so much, Mandy, for allowing us to share space. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye. Well, <laughs> that was. That was special. It feels good to be back. It feels good to be back, guys. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Powerverse. Follow us on Twitter at Powerverse PC, Instagram at Powerverse Podcast, Facebook at Powerverse, and check out our website, www.powerverse.com, where you can listen to all of our episodes. That's right. And we want to hear from you guys. Please send us your comments, your woofs, your likes, your stories, your hookups to powerversepodcast at gmail.com. And if you like what you heard today, share it, <laughs> please. please. We love reviews. Uh, review us on Apple. Um, yeah, spread the love. And you can join us every month for a new episode of Powerverse. I'm Arby. And I'm Michael. And thanks for listening to Powerverse. Thanks for listening, guys. Bye.